0: The works of Dr. Nadam al-Sayyar are crucial to the discussion about the connection between Islam and the ancient mystery schools, i.e. the ancient religion of the world. Though his first book on the topic, Khtama al-Misri in Awal al-Muwahidin, The Ancient Egyptians' The First Monotheists, was published in 1995 and its second part, Lesu Aliha Walaykin Malaika, Not Gods, but Angels, in 2003, and had an impact in the Arab world, English readers are largely in the dark about his research. His works address the nature of ancient Egyptian religion, which was the major religious center of the ancient world, and seeks to dispel myths and misinterpretations concerning their worship of the pharaohs and multiple gods. George G. M. James and other authors have made this assertion, but none of them have performed studies with the same rigor of Dr. Al-Sayar's works. I recently purchased his two publications at the Cairo International Book Fair and thought it would be worth sharing some thoughts about them. Knowledge is the Lost Property of a Believer there is a saying attributed to the Prophet Muhammad to the effect that knowledge, or wisdom, is the lost property of the believer, wherever he finds it he is the most deserving of it. I preamble this discussion with this because many who might be intrigued by this topic may be stifled by their prejudice against Arabs and or Muslims who speak on this topic. The arguments of the so-called Afrocentrists are that. The current Egyptians, especially those light-skinned Egyptians, are not the direct descendants of the ancient Egyptians. Arab Muslims, who are supposedly the majority in Egypt, are a colonizing force that supplanted the ancient Egyptian religion. The Quran, like the Bible, appears to condemn Pharaoh and the ancient religion of Egypt. Egyptian ancestry. To the first point that current Egyptians are not descendants of the ancient Egyptians, this is not completely true. Egypt is a very diverse society. Its location in Northeast Africa has always been a site for migration and traveling between the three continents of Africa, Asia, and Europe. Likewise, the Nile River in its yearly flooding made the land particularly fertile and ideal place to settle. The civilization that resulted from these environmental factors was also attractive to settlers from different places. While the first inhabitants of this land were undoubtedly dark-skinned people, they frequently intermarried with other groups that relocated to the region. In addition to this contact, Egypt also experienced many waves of migration and conquest. The Hyksos, Persians, Greeks, Arabs, Turks, etc. Egypt, during the Middle Ages was ruled by a myriad of Eastern European and Central Asian slaves. Today, most metropolitan Egyptians can count all these groups among their ancestors in addition to their black ancient Egyptian ancestors. Therefore, their offspring would not be cut off from the greatness of their black heritage merely due to the fact that some of their ancestors were from other places. I understand that this runs counter to popular belief in Afrocentric thought. Unfortunately, Afrocentric thought relies too heavily on a contemporary American concept of race, which does not always allow for multi-layers and ways of constructing identity. This is a major fallacy of Afrocentric thought alongside methodological issues in their research. I do, however, find it useful to approach subjects such as African history from a truly African-centered perspective. That is, to center the voices and perspectives of Africans on their own histories, which I think is important in the case of Dr. Nadim al-Sayyar. Arab Muslims? To the second point, a discussion of what it means to be Arab is beyond the scope of this post. However, it suffices me to say that Arab identity is not a racial identity, but rather a cultural linguistic identity that includes a number of ethnic, racial, and genealogical groups, similar to the Latinx identity. Though the majority of Egyptians are Muslims, the majority are not ethnically Arab, if that is truly a thing, meaning that they track their lineage back to the Arabian Peninsula. They are Arab in the sense that they adopted the Arabic language and ascribed to an Arab culture. Since the majority of Egyptians are not Arab proper, we cannot say that they have colonized the land of Egypt. It is ludicrous to suggest, as many Afrocentrics think, that a small group of warriors from Arabia came and conquered all these lands, and changed the majority of people's language and religion by force and continue to take on this identity to this day. Furthermore, before Egypt and Nubia became Muslims they were Christian with a minority Jewish population. The same holds true for much of North Africa and the Levant. Why then are Muslims implicated as the ones who supplanted the ancient Egyptian religion when there were other religions that dominated Egypt prior to its spread? Muslim Views of the Pharaoh To the third point, which characterizes Islam as being antithetical to the ancient Egyptian religion, the aim of Dr. Al-Sayar's work is to dispel this myth among other things. For instance, Dr. Al-Sayar holds that Pharaoh was the title given to the ruler of Egypt, no matter what their ethnicity. He then finds that the pharaohs of Moses' day was actually a ruler of foreign hyksus extraction and that the religion they promoted in their practices was not representative of the ancient Egyptian religious practices. In addition, he brings to the reader's attention the number of prophets and other noble figures recorded in the Muslim tradition who were from Egypt. One of the aims of his research is to clarify misunderstandings that Muslims have acquired about ancient Egyptian religion based on their reliance on Jewish and Western sources. Lesu Aliha wa Lakin Mala Not Gods, but Angels, published in 2003. Chapter 1 Egypt and the Prophets. Chapter 2 The Myth of Multiple Gods. Chapter 3 The Myth of Worshiping the Netter. Chapter 4 The Myth of Worshiping the Pharaohs. Chapter 5 God and the Beliefs of the Ancient Egyptians. Dr. Nadam al Sayyar. I challenge my Afrocentric brethren to consider Dr. al al-Sayar's works on its merits and not simply his ethnic, national, and racial background. He was originally a poet and oud player and later obtained a degree in medicine. Fused by the Noxas suffered by Egypt at the hands of the Israeli army in 1967 he began to bury himself in the reading of Egyptian history, which eventually led him to the study of comparative religion. In 1985, he traveled to Iraq to live amongst the lasting communities of Sabians, the name of the ancient Egyptian religion, and to study their ways. He would later acquire degrees in Islamic studies from Al-Azhar University and Coptic studies from Ain Shams University, where he studied a number of languages such as Coptic, which includes Greek, Hebrew, and Ancient Egyptian, as well as Akkadian, Syriac, Armenian, and the Ancient Yemeni language. The result of his studies are the three works he published on the topic of Ancient Egyptian religion. He passed away in 2018, but his daughters have since republished his first two books and plan to republish his third book, Al-Mazriyoun Al-Ktama Awal al hunifa the ancient Egyptians, the first Hanifs, soon. Al-Sayar's Description of the Egyptian Mystery Schools The works of Dr. Nadam al-Sayar firmly establish the connections between Islam and the ancient mystery schools. He does this in Tama by taking a retroactive examination of the prophets and other notable religious figures from Egypt. He starts off discussing Tawhid, monotheism, in Egypt under Greek rule by examining the likes of Plato, Herodotus, Luqman, and Akhenaten. Then he discusses prophets mentioned in the Quran who were either from Egypt or had a relationship with it such as Ibrahim, Hajar, Ismail, Yagub, Yusuf, and Musa. He examines the misunderstandings about the pharaoh in the time of Musa, which he attributes to distortions propagated by Jewish scholars over centuries. He follows that by giving examples of monotheistic beliefs across various pharaonic dynasties. He concludes the book by discussing the prophethood of Idris and his impact on Egyptian beliefs. In Lesu, he establishes that the original religion of Egypt was that which was brought by the Prophet Idris, who Muslim exegetes have believed since the early days of Islam to be the first prophet sent by God after the creation of Adam. That religion, according to Al Sayyar, was called the Sabaiyya, Sabianism, which is alluded to in the Quran on a few occasions. If you were like me, then the first time you came across the verses, Quran 262, Quran 569, and Quran 2217, when Allah mentions the different peoples of the book, You probably glossed over the mention of the Sabians. While it was known to be the Mandians of southern Iraq, it was first the religion of ancient Egypt, according to Al Sayyar. He then shifts into a rigorous linguistic and historical analysis of the Netar. There are many jewels regarding his analysis, in which he illuminates his hypothesis that the Netar referred to in the Book of the Dead are actually what Jews, Muslims, and Christians would deem to be angels. He starts off by making it clear that although Wallace Budge and other early Egyptologists translated this word as God and Netaru as gods, they did not have a consensus on how to translate it, nor did they believe that God was the best translation of the word. 42 to 45. Starting from the premise that we have received mistranslations and misinterpretations, he begins to unravel the meaning of Netar linguistically. Then he performs a careful comparison between Egyptian perceptions of the netter and contemporary beliefs about angels and spiritual beings. In each comparison he examines historical sources in their original languages. He concludes the book by examining the ancient Egyptian belief in God by their attributes for him, which he found to correspond with common Islamic beliefs concerning the attributes of God. In many ways, Dr. Nadam al-Sayar has done a great service to those of us interested in the connections between Islam and the ancient mystery schools. Before we can benefit from this scholarship, we need to overcome hurdles of language and prejudice with regards to scholarship coming from the Arab world. Likewise, as Westerners, we have been conditioned to devalue scholarship produced in other languages and overestimate the accuracy of Western scholarship. By overcoming these hurdles, we can gain greater access to the knowledge being produced in the world beyond our own intellectual borders.